the world of Holai, Reb Brown, and so many heroes named Steve. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap is filled with insightful reviews about the films made during the decade that gave us big hair, shoulder pads, and yuppies. This book is an excellent guide through the action movies that didn't quite make blockbuster status, or in some cases, any status at all. Written with wit, good humor, a definite fondness, and minimal spoilers, this book is a must-have for film lovers. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap by Daniel R. Budnick is available now at Amazon and McFarland Books. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train episode 67. It's been a long time since I played that. Still great. Still great. The book, still fantastic. You should go pick it up. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap, written by me, Dan Budnick, B-U-D-N-I-K. It's under Daniel R. Budnick. You should pick it up. Anyway, eventually Super Train. Hey, everybody. Short-lived TV show podcast. We cover three shows at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually, we will get to Super Train. This episode begins with Amy the Conqueror, myself, discussing episode six of Erie, Indiana. Myself and me discussing episode six of Last Precinct. And myself and the great Gorblimey discussing Man to Man with Dean Lerner, episode three. And I think we should dive right in. Enjoy, everyone. See you at the end. When I try to tell this to my family, they just think I'm weird. Better weird than dead. Amy the Conqueror, a good girl. I'm here talking Erie, Indiana <laughs> with my pal, Amy the Conqueror. How are you, Amy? <laughs> I'm doing well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. We are here talking the sixth episode of Erie, Indiana, October 27th, 1991. I wonder why they didn't show the Halloween episode on this date. That seems strange, you know, because yeah. it, it was on the last week. But, yeah, uh, that is strange. Yeah, but but ha- having said that, uh, this is episode Just Say No Fun, directed by Brian Spicer and written by Michael R. Perry. And I have someone here who is a lot of fun. Don't let her tell you otherwise. Amy, to give you a little breakdown. Amy, <laughs> please, I'll step back. Okay. Uh, on this episode, um, Marshall and Simon start out playing some gags on Marshall's family at the breakfast table before school. Um, they get to school, they are, you know, playing pranks on their, you know, their friends, and then a bully walks by and takes a piece of their gum, thinking he's being a bully and just taking a piece of gum, but it's actually trick gum. So when he figures that out, um, he comes back and they get into, they exchange some words, but, you know, nothing too serious, and then a school, I think the principal, I'm not even quite sure who the guy was, uh, the principal came out, and instead of sending them to detention, he decides that they have to go for an eye exam at the nurse's office. Uh, they have a new school nurse. So the bully, and again, I can't remember his name, 
goes into the nurse's office and comes back about ten minutes later wearing horn-rimmed glasses and acting kind of strange. Was it? Um, was he it apologizes Dinsdale? to Marshall and Simon. Does Dinsdale? Sound Dinsdale? Right? Yeah, that could be yes. it. Okay. <laughs> he comes back uh, and apologizes to Marshall and Simon, and they think that's kind of strange. So Simon sat in next to the the new nurse. Her name is Nurse Nancy. And he comes back, and he's acting the same way and wearing the same glasses. So kind of acting like zombies a little bit, um, very subdued and, you know, seem to be all about studying and not having any fun. So basically, Marshall is able to avoid the nurse by hiding behind the door when she comes out to get him. And uh, so she takes in another kid. Turns out she's changing the whole, starting with the whole school, all the kids, all the administrators, and trying to hypnotize the entire town. So when she does this, they wear these glasses, and she's they're pretty much dull and, you know, nerdy and, you know, not acting like kids. So Marshall goes to the near store, they're the nearby store, and um, him and the shopkeep decide that, you know, there's something up with these kids, and but they're going to pull out the big guns. So they, they go into a vault and pull out some Groucho Marx glasses, which then Marshall puts on and proceeds to make Simon laugh, and then other people laugh, and that breaks the, the spell of Nurse Nancy. And then eventually they are able to hypnotize her to laugh and wear the Groucho Marx glasses. So that's the episode. Hey, thank you. All right, Amy, what did you think of Just Say No Fun? Eh, you know, wasn't my favorite. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I thought the glasses were kind of funny, the Groucho Marx glasses. Yeah. But, and because they were so silly that that would make everybody laugh. <laughs> so, yeah. That was the part I liked about it. Um, other than that, I thought it was kind of a dull episode. I, I, I said this, uh, I think, on the previous one, that if sort of if this were done nowadays, it, it would have more than just the one thing happening. Uh, like like when they go into right. the, bureau, the Bureau of Lost, there's so much there, and it's such a huge concept that when it ends, I thought, we need another episode of this. This one with Nurse Nancy, as much as I like Nurse Nancy, and as much as I like the, just this concept mm-hmm. that they... You know, the administration hires this crazy nurse who hypnotizes everyone, and apparently she's been to other schools and done this and such. As much as I right. like that concept, it doesn't... There needed to be something else, I think, happening in this episode. Um, I, I don't know... I don't know whether it was something like they needed to up the ante by having, like, a kid... I, I don't. I hate to say it, but like maybe get like suicidal or go crazy or something. They just needed to up. They they needed to increase the stakes because if everyone is going to become dull like that, I mean, and the, the tricky thing too is that there's even a point where when Marshall's dad, uh, who acts strangely from episode to episode, is very much saying to Marshall, "You have to get this eye check done. I'm so disappointed in you." You have to do this and that. And, yeah. And Marshall says, well, she's just making, she's taking everyone and hypnotizing them and making them like everyone else. And the dad is more or less like, whatever. But the mom, mom the mom leans in and says, well, is that a good thing? Shouldn't he be himself? 
And you're like, well, yeah, that, there you go. That's why you listen to mom. You know, dad, let dad go to work and make his <laughs> banana-based petroleum extract that tastes like, you know, diesel fuel. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, and <laughs> I think I think to me that's that's the one problem in the episode is it just it and occasionally I I can see this with these eerie nanas where they have a basic idea, but then there doesn't seem to be quite enough to. I, I I guess I, I, quite enough to sort of carry it all the way in an interesting manner. I think if that if that makes sense. Because in do you think that's because of a time constraint? It it could that I they mean, have to, like the episodes are twenty three twenty four minutes. Yeah, that that could have been. I mean, I I think I think with something like this, it would just have been a question of in in my mind. Just add something else. Just add another plot line, like another something that um, – because really the whole thing is this woman is hypnotizing the kids and making them boring. And the the most interesting right. part of it is is the sort of moment where Marshall is says that he's going to go in there and videotape her doing this to him so he has proof – that Erie, Indiana is crazy. That's interesting because that, <laughs> that to me is very much like an X-Files thing where Mulder and Scully spend seasons trying to just get some concrete proof that these things exist. And the joy of the X-Files is that 200 episodes in, in the Brady Bunch themed episode, they get that. And I'm not going to spoil <laughs> what happens, but if you know your X-Files, it's a sunshine day or sunshine day, which is a killer at Vince Gilligan episode, has the moment where they say they present to someone in authority proof of everything they've been saying. And it's a glorious moment. And there's the, the moment here where Marshall's like, I'm finally going to prove that Erie is nutty uh, is an exciting moment, but then it kind of gets forgotten in the in the in the final scene. But then the final scene does get a bit out of hand. So, um, but yeah, I, I gotta I, yeah. I, I I think I'm more or less with you on this one, Amy. As I was watching it, I kept waiting for something, just something extra to be thrown in the mix. I mean, I'm wondering. I think that to me, the thing with the time restraint. Is that I, I feel like some episodes, like the the Bureau of the Lost one, that concept I think was too big for that one episode. I think they could have used another episode exploring right. that. The scariest home videos they had just enough stuff, and we discussed you know how possibly the plot line went a little south in the third act, but they had enough stuff going on with the kid on the TV, with the mummy, with the trick or treaters, with the sister, with the parents getting lost in the fog. This one. I feel like the the guy who wrote it pitched this one idea, and then at some point was like, "Ooh, yeah, this isn't, this isn't, this is coming up a little short here." But they kind of <laughs> were it stretched right. it. I mean, I think the point where they stretch it are like some of the Nurse Nancy moments. As much as uh, the actress who plays Nurse Nancy, um, over uh, very soon you're going to be hearing me talking about the Last Precinct. She plays Rena in the Last Precinct the woman in the evidence room who will only let people in the evidence room if the big fat guy raid has sex with her. That sounds terrible, but trust me, it's <laughs> hilarious, especially when they dress as bunny rabbits. 
Um, but uh, but she and she's great. I like her. But there, but there are a few moments where they're showing her hypnotizing techniques and stuff where I thought, are they are they padding this out a, a bit here? Is this? I, yeah. I just feel I, I just feel like they came up with a good idea, and I, I I'm. I, in my mind, I can see it. Having written a lot of stuff, you come up with the idea, you write it, and you go, "Ooh, this didn't turn out as long as I thought it would." And then you either okay. need you either need to sort of stretch it here and there, pad it out just a little, or and I think you can see it in this episode, like some of the scenes, like when they're in the in the store. What is the store called? Store of Fun, Stuff of Fun. What I forget what it's called. Mm. Yeah, Some, I actually can't remember. Yeah, um, uh, but but like that, the the scene in that kind of feels stretched. It feels a little too long, mm-hmm. and the scenes with the hypnotism kind of feel too long. And when Nurse Nancy's explaining why she's doing this, and she has my favorite line in there, which is something like, um, uh, "I like my world to be orderly and peaceful." And Marshall leans in and says, and I like my yeah. world to be messy and alive. And that was great. But it it does feel like one of those episodes where they had a basic idea. It was underwritten terribly. So they had to stretch everything to get it out to the length. I right. really wish, it's like I said, I, I would have loved it if maybe there was like a pre-credit scene. Oh, you know what would have been fun? Oh, maybe like. Um, you know, Marge versus the monorail, the Simpsons, the scene when Marge goes to the, the town mm-hmm. where where the guy had sold or like Brocktonville or whatever it was where he'd sold a monorail to already. <laughs> and you see how horrible it is. Yeah. Could, could you imagine just like a scene where it was like maybe Marshall discovers that like the next town over was where she just worked and he just kind of skateboards over there right. one afternoon and he arrives and everybody, everybody is with the glasses and they're boring and just just that would have i mean right. it, it, it wouldn't have been the world's best scene but it, it would have been <laughs> it, it wouldn't have just looked like some crazy lady putting black glasses on everyone and making them boring you know it would have increased the scope right i think to just say like this lady is a threat and this is dangerous kind of thing and that would have added right three right. or four minutes on it's a 25 minute episode perfect but but yeah I, i'm with you this is um in th- I love the Groucho glasses. I, as I said, I do like the actress who plays Nurse Nancy. And I do like the basic concept. Oh, yeah. I, I do like the basic concept of it. I just think there needed to be more sort of, I don't want to say substance per se, but I guess that could be what I mean. There, there just could have been a little bit more. I, and I think if this, if this had been written a few years later when writers' rooms kind of took over, and the thing with writers' rooms uh, with shows, and Simpsons, which was on at this time, was one of the first, like I believe, big writers' room kind of places where you write a script, one person writes a script, and then a table full of writers tear it apart line by line. And in some respects, that's good because look at The Simpsons during its best years. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And that's because mm-hmm. of that kind of writing. But in other respects, you can, you can overwrite something. And the fun with Erie, Indiana so far is that it's been kind of, at its best moments, it's been it's been solid writing, telling a good story. And I just think this one would have done better if they had all sat down and said, okay, we need to add, there needs to be another plot line to flesh it out because there isn't enough happening. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely worth watching. The episode's worth watching and it has its moments. 
Um, but uh, let, let me scan my notes. Do you have anything else on this one, Amy? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I, I do. I think the only other thing I have here is, um, um, what what is it they make her? They say to her "Womp Bompadu" or something like that. I forget what it is. Yeah. Womp Bompaduda. Womp Bompaduda. Does that sound right? And, yeah, that sounds right because it wasn't <laughs> quite right to me. Yes. When I heard it, I'm like, wait, what are they doing? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it but, was um, like like. Yeah, it was it was like two little kids misremembering Tutti Frutti. You know, little Richard singing Tutti Frutti or something yes. like that. Womp bump a loo boo. You know, womp bump a doo and they say it to her and then yeah, the the closing scene where it's just like and they just tell her to just keep you know, laugh laugh all the way to the North Pole. And the final scene is like her at the Canadian border and like a very stereotypical Canadian guy just looking at her and she says womp bamp a or whatever and she just laughs and he just shakes his head and says, oh, <laughs> Americans and then the episode ends I like that I um, I yeah I think this this and I, I will we'll probably talk about this more but I think this show is time period wise is in a very strange place it, it's almost like um, uh, kind of you know Halloween came out and then a uh, year and a half, two years later, Friday the 13th came out. And Friday the 13th, and Halloween kind of births the slasher films. But Friday the 13th is the one that shows people who don't have the skill that John Carpenter does how to make a film like that. That will make lots of money. <laughs> so in between Halloween right. and Friday the 13th, you get the films like He Knows You're Alone and Prom Night and kind of When a Stranger Calls and Terror Train and Happy Birthday to Me, although that came out a little later. You get all these different films, Night School, did I say that? Um, all these different films that are emulating Halloween, but at, at from different vantage points and different places. So you, you get this strange thing where once Friday the 13th hits, on from that from, from that point on, you get uh, those slashers. Those are more or less slashers. But you get this vague space where everything's up in the air. And this is kind of that vague space on TV because the 80s had ended and you had Twin Peaks and you had like Star Trek The Next Generation, which was beginning to um, have more continuity from week to week. And then in a couple of years, you get the X-Files and then Buffy, and that would set the stage for the way most shows are told nowadays. Lots of continuity, lots of continuing serialization. But Erie, Indiana is in that weird space like Get a Life was in, where, you know, like Get a Life was a funny sitcom at a time when sitcoms really weren't funny. And Erie, Indiana is kind <laughs> of in this weird space where it's kind of a Twin Peaks for kids, but it doesn't quite... It hasn't quite gone all the way yet, just because. I mean, they're, they're, look at look at the thing with the. Um, we were just a bunch of merry pranksters at the beginning of the episode. And I'm thinking, are you? Are you a bunch of merry pranksters? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> but but that's yeah. the way sh- that's the yeah, way shows exactly. were back then. Yeah, you know, it's like whole, you know episodes begin, and we'll see this in the next episode. Episodes begin with, he was my best friend. We've never seen him before. You know, that's just, and they wouldn't do that nowadays. (laughs) Yeah, if they did that nowadays, you would call foul on that. But they could do that then. But this was at a time when they were starting to not do that, but they hadn't quite got there yet. And so it's like, it's like one of those things where it's teetering. (laughs) I don't know. It's like, um, do do you know, um, uh, so Amy and I, and then I'll stop talking about this because this, I'm I'm, I'm thinking this more and more as I'm watching the show because I do feel this is a transitional show 
Amy and I are on a podcast called Podcast Mania, and we have a great time. And um, yes, we the previous episode, we talked about a band called Death, not the metal band from the 80s, but a proto-punk band for the mid-70s. And Charlie, our host, had me listen to their album, and it's considered proto-punk, and it's very punk. It's Detroit, mid-70s, pre-punk, proto-punk. But when you listen when you listen to it, you can hear elements of punk. But I could also hear psychedelic stuff. I could also hear straight up hard rock. I hear I hear progressive rock. There's a drum solo in one of the songs. So it's one of those things. And Irianda in Irianiana is sort of like that. You can see elements in it that are pointing ahead to where we will go with like X Files and Buffy and things like that. But there are also things that point to the past, you know. And and so it's kind of. It's not quite neither camp, which means that sometimes you're going to get episodes like this where you think, oh, if this had been made four years later, I think this episode would have been crazy and brilliant. But as it is, it's just a little disappointing. Ugh. Mm. So yeah. having, gone on, having <laughs> yep. gone on far too long about that, Amy, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Awesome. Thank you very much. Amy the Conqueror. And let me just end with a bit of Ah, Whatever. I'll, we'll talk to you next time, guys. Last Precinct. Episode 6, Toehold, aired May 16th, 1986. Written by Jim Mulligan. Directed by David Hemmings, for heaven's sake. Around this time, he directed episodes of The A-Team and Magnum P.I. Did a murder she wrote. Gosh. Stingray, the new Mike Hammer. And, of course, he was obviously the star of Blow Up and Deep Red. So there's... And Alfred the Great. There's something to be said for that. So this is the wrestling episode of the show. El Namada. Returns the uh, blind gangster from the TV movie. He returns with some goons. This time he's apparently uh, gone straight and he's found religion. He wears a yarmulke the whole time. He, he wears some religious vestments at some point. Uh, although his, he, whenever he talks, it seems to be a mix of several different religions. But everyone's convinced that he's gone straight and, and he's he's running a bunch of wrestling type things. And he he is setting up a big, big wrestling event with lots of police there including um uh, chief bloodhorn and it'll be the masked uh, mangler versus the assassin but it, but the masked mangler spoiler well no not spoiler it's still in the plot line the masked mangler is actually going to be there not only wrestle the assassin but to also help uh with a tunnel that they've been building under the stadium to a local bank or some such where they're going to 
blow up some stuff. And the mass manglers a munitions guy, uh, uh, and so he's going to help them blow up stuff, and it's going to be fantastic and they're gonna get millions and millions of dollars and it's gonna be crazy yeah al hasn't gone straight he's still a jerk and the gang pretty much at the precinct knows that he's a jerk and so what they do is they arrest the mangler for uh tearing uh the tags off of all his mattresses and things and they send in you guessed it the great adam west there you go captain wright as the mass mangler and he has to learn what's going on and go undercover and that kind of thing and stop all the chaos and craziness yes this is the episode that ends with a big huge brawl free-for-all in the wrestling ring and all around the wrestling place there and the arena and it's crazy and stuff like that and um uh, yeah for a show that thrives on you know just just going from like zero to to 20 in an instant without actually stopping to explore in between those points this one gets there pretty quick in the end although it still seems to take a bit of time actually <laughs> i said that but but it, it's a, you're watching it and you're like okay all right they're fighting they're fighting they're, oh my god everybody's fighting and adam west gets to dress as a masked uh, santo-esque wrestler he was like uh, an in a wrestler his character was a wrestler uh, or some sort of champ from indiana somewhere and yeah so he does this and he's he's really gung-ho for it and he does a lot of voices like this he goes hey you guys what's going on which is fun and the he it's 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 slightly odd there's um i'll, I'll tell you there, there are two moments when things happen in the episode one of them was when alphabet's hiding up a tree trying to do some uh surveillance on um al and someone chainsaws down the tree and he falls. And then the other time is when a mangler uh, says Noid. He calls, I forget if he calls the assassin. I forget who he's calling a Noid. You know, Noid. And I thought he was referring to the Noid from the, the uh, Dominoes. But uh, that's not quite what he's referring to. Let me, let, me, um, let me read you these two screens. All right, as Alphabet is falling out of the tree, we get a freeze frame and we get Soshiro. And it's... Uh, do not mourn this tree. It exists in the cosmic oneness of endless time and infinite space. And two, timber! Synonym one, watch your keister. Two, move it. Three, bonsai. Four, I love it when a plan comes together. And then the next one is nerd. Uh, noun, slang, one, a dull, foolish person. Two, a dork. Noid, slang, one, mispronunciation of nerd, usually by a dork. And I like that, that they kind of, they, they kind of made, because at first they got me, I thought, well, he's not supposed to be a dork, but no, he is. Sergeant Wright, or Captain Wright is a dork, and he's saying it in that fashion. It's hilarious. It's a, and they do stuff like that. There, there's stuff like that in here. The sort of police squad, Zucker, Abram, Zucker, and there's stuff like that. There are a bunch of moments uh, where the, you know, freeze frame and then arrows pointing at things. There's, there's a bit near the, uh, near the end where, um, as the masked uh, mangler, uh, Wright has to, you know, put the clips on the right spots on the dynamite and as he reaches for certain spots you get a little arrow saying not this one the other one Whew. and then there's a bit where um uh, i forget who uh, the mad apache is leaping around uh, wrestling and all of a sudden it pauses at uh, freeze frames says something like this is not real and then you see his lady friend um leaping up and down uh in a small outfit it says this is real oh boy what else goes on in this episode? Well, let's... Uh, a bunch of stuff goes on in this episode. I'm not going to go through all of it. But uh, let, me, let me just say, do I like this episode or not? Um, 
It's okay. There are some good gags. I think uh, there, there's a gag at the top of every act. You see a hand, hands unfold a scroll and read from the scroll. And, and one of the times they can't get the scroll apart. And another time um, uh, words have been blacked out that are naughty. So we hear beeps. So I like that. I like I like that little touch. I like the bit where, um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Rick Dukeman's character is it Raid. I'm sorry. I, uh, no, yes, yes. Raid goes down to see, um, geez, is it Rena? I believe. I'm, you know, it's funny. We only have one episode left after this, and I'm still not always getting the names quite right. Sorry about that, everybody. But, uh, yeah, when he goes down to see the woman in the evidence room and she has something set up for him and she's dressed as a bunny rabbit and so is he. And it's like, oh, boy, what are those two getting up to? I don't want to know. Or do I? It's another show, possibly. Uh, there's that bit I like. And Adam West is fine. They give him a bit more to do in this episode. and He gets to mangler it up. And there, there are some funny moments. Oh, yeah. I, the fact that they keep calling him the mangler. Hey, mangler. Oh, that's one funny mangler. So I like that. I guess it's nice to see Al back. I mean, I, I didn't think he was particularly great in the, um, the, the TV movie. He was okay. But um, it's sort of... Oh, no, I can't do that. That's a spoiler. I was, I was going to say... I was going to say, in the most recent season of Doctor Who, series of Doctor Who, series 11, there is uh, something returns at the end. And when it returns, I thought, huh, that? Hmm, well, I guess so. And that's kind of the way the return of Al is. Um, and what, what else do we got going on? Oh, during my copy, there was one moment um, where they're on a wacky chase. No, they're, they're, the, the, the Mad Apache is killed. He's put in a huge cement block. And there's a funny scene where there's like a huge drainage ditch or something. And you see a crane pulling out this enormous cement block. Like a head sticking out one end, feet out the other, and arms out the side. And they call both the sheriff department and our precinct. They're in the same vicinity, so they have to race like crazy to try to get to it first. And they're halfway in there. All of a sudden, like NBC New York color bars came up, like beep for like five or ten seconds. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is so exciting! A technical difficulty during during an episode as it was taped off the air in May of 1986. And then when it went on for you know about six or seven seconds, I thought I'd like to get back to the episode. Now we got back to it fairly quickly. Turns out that the gang at the precinct have. A um, they got like a valley girl. Oh, you guys! There's something totally gnarly going on. Uh, they found a body, and I guess he's dead or something like that. And you know, I thought, huh, she's great. You know, she's fun. We haven't we haven't seen her enough. Have we seen her before? Yes, haven't we? I don't remember. Probably. What else happens in here? Um, everyone does. They do get some nice scenes when they're all assembled with the gigantic cement block with the guy in it. Everyone kind of gets a little something to do. Uh, there's uh, the coroner comes in and does the thing where he puts the stethoscope on the cement block. I think this man is dead. There's some coroner jokes relating to that guy and, and Captain Wright that are I feel are maybe a little half-hearted. That's the that's always the wacky thing with this show to me is uh, sometimes they seem to be really trying. I mean, that brawl in the end, David Hemmings is really having everyone go for broke. And the little little uh, meta bits, and there's a, there's a moment where the um, the assassin, who's a big, almost sumo wrestler-esque guy, but not, I don't think quite as large, is about to womp the mangler and says something like, I'm going to 
beat your sissy behind just like your country or something like that. And the mangler says, uh, no one talks about my sissy country that way or something like that. And then you see like a montage, you hear a montage of, uh, you know, patriotic music, sort of uh, this kind of thing um, Oliver Wendell Douglas uh, used to invoke whenever he would give one of his his speeches. And um, you see like images of the American flag and Mount Rushmore. And then, you know, the mass mangler begins to womp the assassin pretty darn good. Let's see, what else do we have going on in this episode? Yeah, Al's back, and there's that guy is dead. and uh, Yeah, it's... I mean, it's an okay episode. Uh, it's It it has a decent pace to it. Um, it it feels like it could have had more incident in it. Maybe, I mean, because really it starts off with a wrestling match. They kill the Mad Apache. Our gang gets the thing. They learn what's going on through, like, surveillance... Uh, and then they put uh, put Captain Wright in the outfit, and then sort of the not quite second half of the episode, but the third final third or so of the I did actually didn't time it at all. It seemed like a long time is in the wrestling ring and and with the explosive guys and things like that. And it all it's okay. Um, it's not. It's not. Uh, th- there are moments when it's it's fa- paced quickly. And those are the moments like the chases and the wrestling bits and the final fight. But there are other moments when it feels like it could be a little, could move a little bit more. And and those 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 sort of meta moments are so lovely, I think, and fun. Even when they're not funny, they're fun compared to a lot of the other jokes, many of which are kind of tired. But there are some moments, like I said, the, the dressed as bunnies and, and the, the guy in the block. That's good stuff. Uh, but some of the other stuff is is sort of it's it's it still has that thing where that Stephen J. Cannell thing where yeah like I've like I've said like I said before um, where Stephen J. Cannell when he does comedy it's amusing it's never really for me laugh out loud funny and I'm not gonna go into that I, I went back into that what a ba- ba- vampire time a, a few episodes ago there but. Yeah, it's 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 always just amusing, and there there are some moments that almost made me laugh, but not really. Does that mean it's bad though? As I've said in the previous episodes, nope. I was interested throughout most of it, and I always looked forward to see what they were going to do with the scroll next, and I wanted to see kind of where they were going in the end. They more or less went exactly where I expected them to go, but it was it was nice to see them do that. So there's really not getting to the end of the series. We only have one more episode. I don't really have all that much to say about this it's the gang they're doing their thing i do like i mean the, the closing sequence they seem to arrest everybody at the arena even wings hauser is in jail there because he's lost his badge and, and there's just some great stuff with mel um still looking gorgeous covered in dust with a clipboard like who are you and taking all down all the names which i really like is this the first episode where it's sort of not they don't talk about mel's um gender reassignment is this the uh, is this the first one or no? There's no sex change chat. I think it's just I because I kept it, it was weird. I no no well, it's this is the first one I noticed it in. Maybe I, now I feel like I need to go back to the previous two and look at them again. But yeah, there's no uh, Mel is just treated as a regular officer throughout this episode. There is there isn't even a point where they have her like stroll out in a bikini or something, you know, and hold up like the card like round one or something like that. She's just treated like a regular cop, which is cool. Yes, I do miss seeing her in in little outfits and things, but you can't have everything. You can't have everything. Although this episode does try to give you everything, and I mean, 
as 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 I would this is not my favorite episode of this, but again, it's it's not a bad episode. It's got its charms, a couple of groan-worthy jokes, a couple of amusing jokes, a couple of fun moments, a decent pace that goes off a little bit here and there, but I don't know, I'd like to say they were still finding their way at this point, since so this is only episode six. Now, we only have one more episode, so it's tough to gauge where we're going to go next, but uh, where they could have gone next, I'm sorry. Where, where they're going to go next is the next episode, but yeah, yeah, I guess let's hang on, and, and, and next episode, we will cover the, 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 the seventh and, and final episode of Last Precinct and see what's going on. I mean, I, I figure it would have, like the 18 more or less, it would have gone on kind of doing its thing over and over and over again until uh, maybe occasionally changing cast, maybe even changing location or something, until everyone was exhausted and they had no more plots to tell. Although, it really looks like as you're watching the series, apart from the supernaturally stuff, that they're kind of just going through the cop um, tropes and just doing those plot lines. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's Toehold, episode six of the Last Precinct, directed by Alfred the Great. And now this. Come on, I'll buy you coffee. his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End. Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur, and publisher of High Class Gentleman's Magazines invites you to join him for an exclusive man-to-man. All right, everyone. Welcome to Man to Dan with Gore Blimey. Discussing Man to Man with Dean Lerner, an episode from November 3rd, 2006, an interview with Glenn Nimron. You may have recognized that theme I played at the beginning there. If you're a Galacticops fan, you're going to be excited by this episode. And I know someone here who is a huge Galacticops fan, and that's Mr. Gore Blimey. How are you, Gore? I'm good, thank you very much. How on earth did you know I was a huge Galacticops fan? (laughs) I've, I've been on your Twitter feed. Uh, all my secrets have been revealed yeah. then. <laughs> yes, on Twitter, yes. <laughs> and it's good that we're not pissing around this time. Yes. <laughs> there, there's no if p- anyone <laughs> heard of the last episode, they know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, we are discussing, uh, the interview that Dean has is with Glenn Nimron. Glenn is an actor who was in the classic, I'm a little confused because half the time they refer to Galacticops as a series of films, then sometimes it's shows. So I'm imagining it was like on the air for a couple of years. Then it had like Star Trek style movies after it. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine it being very Star Trekky. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and because it's created by a man named Dermontford Graney, who I felt like was probably a Gene Roddenberry-esque character until you went into his character a little more. And then I was not so sure. But we can talk yeah. about Dermont. Dermontford uh, <laughs> soon, um, and so Glenn um, <laughs> Glenn is uh, plays a character named Bot, and Bot is um, I, Bot's like a thousand different things on the Galacticops uh, ship. Uh, inc- does I guess does filing, typing, and is also the pleasure port for the ship. And Bot's a kind yes. of slightly, <laughs> slightly, slightly disturbing character. We can discuss that uh, later. Um, but uh, so, yeah, he interviews uh, Glenn. And this is an interesting episode because it starts off, you see a clip from Galacticops. 
And then at the sort of halfway point, the commercial break, um, more or less, um, something big and exciting happens. And I get, I guess we're going to spoil it, but, um, uh, I, I guess I'll just spoil it right now. Um, no, I don't want to. I want us to talk about the episode just a little bit first. I, what, what did you? What did? What were your thoughts on Glenn? Glenn Nimron. Can I just say something just came to my mind then, as as I was sitting here. Um, the name of this this show, Man to Man with Dean Lerner. I in my head, I keep every time I hear that, I keep thinking, Man to Man meets Man Parish, which um, which was a, in the I think eighties. They did a, a a single called Male Stripper. Uh, do, 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 do. And, and it was one of those it was one of those uh, songs I used to apparently uh, when I was a teenager in my bedroom I used to play that song over and over and over again <laughs> and um, my brother has since told me he said uh, he, he refers to it as a clue I'm not sure what he means <laughs> but uh, anyway yes that's just a weird title anyway that uh, man to man makes me think of that but uh, um, yeah this is a poor poor old Glenn um he he's a he's described as an actor that's been in all sorts of things he's been in stuff like he says uh time whackers and the lactator frisk city delta and the cop gooses one two eight and stuff but he's only really known as this bot character from galacticops um you know it, it, uh, so it's, a, it's unfortunate the poor guy but yeah he's a he's an odd guy because when we see him it, well when we see him as the actor he's obviously had a lot of plastic surgery because his face is strangely kind of featureless and expressionless and his hair looks a bit like a wig and he's got breasts and he's kind of an odd looking guy um (laughs) and when we see him in the the video where he's playing the the character of bot he seems to have a, a chin with a nipple on the end which is which is also quite disturbing and um there's a scene in there with when he's with Matt Berry, who played Sanchez in Dark Place, which is all very emotional and, um, you know, and all this. But uh, it, the scene ends with him lactating, squirting this milk into a glass jug and the other guy drinks it. So it's so a very, very odd, very odd character. <laughs> yeah. the the Let's let's talk some Dermontford uh, grainy, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. The so. um uh, Dermontford Graney created, <coughs> pardon me, created Galacticops. And um, I really enjoyed reading your new autobiography, um, which I believe is the sixth you've written. Well, I tried squeezing them in a five, but they just wouldn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't fit. Lovely. But this is a special one, isn't it? Because yep. it's the first book in which you discuss candidly your relationship with the creator of Galacticops, Demontford Graney. That's right. He was a genius, mm. you know. And uh, I think the thing is, we shared a vision in Galacticops because, on the one hand, it was a futuristic cop show, but on the other, it dealt with some pretty fundamental human themes: Indeed, yes. um, tolerance, compassion, love, understanding, water sports, uh, <laughs> and above all, dignity human dignity, which is something de Montfort never lost, right up until that final rectal prolapse which ended his filmmaking career. Sure. Yeah, that's... What did, you, what did you think of the de Montfort grainy um, character, what we hear of him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very... Um... Very sleazy, uh, a very kind of uh, current at the moment, quite um, <laughs> yes. disturbing. Um, the, the clip we see is um, is taken from his biography which is mm. called i've forgotten what it's called now something like 
bought seriously or something like that. Yes, it is. Um, it's one of like several of his autobiographies. Yeah. Welcome to volume 1.9 of my digitally versatile discal biog. If you've bought this box set expecting to meet Bot, well, you're going to be disappointed. Bot is under my strictest instructions not to interfere. Greetings. I am Bot. Hey, Bot, didn't I specifically tell you not to interfere? It is in my nature to help those who are struggling. Well, I'm managing very well here on my lonesome, thank you. Now get out of here. As you wish. Gee, I hope he doesn't pop up again unannounced. I first met DeMonfred Graney when I was just a young actor in some long-forgotten television drama. I'd never even heard of the great director, but one evening as I was hosing off my makeup in my dressing room, he came to me and made his feelings known. Glenn, he said, drawing the shower curtain close behind him, Glenn, I've been watching you. You have the physique of an astronaut. I want you to play Bot in my new film. And by the way, you're using that loofah all wrong. This is how it's done. The rest of that evening is now, sadly, just a haze. But one thing was certain. A new and powerful force had entered Glyn Nimrod. <laughs> the following day, I feverishly devoured DeModford's script. Bot had five lines. How the hell was I going to learn all this material? I was terrified. I'd only ever had one speaking role to date, and that was the line, Please don't shoot me, I'm new to this country. So I consulted DeMontfort. Mr. Graney, I said, wringing my hands nervously. Maybe you should go hire another actor. He listened, steadied my nervous wrists by securing them tightly to my ankles, and whispered, Glynn, I don't want an actor. I want you. The rest of that lunchtime is now, sadly, just a haze. One thing was certain, but was back. Did someone say my name? Hey, don't make me use this. And uh, I, I like the idea that he it's a clip from that because um, because uh, he's done it for a, on a DVD as Dean's suggestion or DVD, I think, um, D- because Dean, Dean thought it would be good to record some of it on a DVD. Mm-hmm. A Dean VD, that's right. <laughs> Dean thought it would be good because he thought it would be, it might be better appreciated by the illiterate, he said. Because <laughs> yes. he said, if you can tap into the illiterate market, you're quids in because they can't read the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's a very, che- it's a really cheesy video, despite it's kind of sort of slightly disturbing sort of message. It's quite a cheesy video. I mean, it's it's the, the character, sta- it's him standing there with a kind of a space background and every now and again, this bot character appears <laughs> on the screen and he interacts with it. And it's like cringing and, and cheesy. But uh, yeah, so but it, this sort of weird thing about um, the director is it's kind of funny, but it's also a little bit sad as well, because you kind of get the impression that he's a bit sort of used in a not very good way. You know, it's yes. it's a bit sad and and the reason why i said that is as well because there's another line which at the very i'm jumping right ahead to the very end now he he does a song and it's a it's funny the song is kind of cringy and funny and all that but there's a line that just comes and goes with it which is not really you know just passes by and he says something about 
Um, and when this is a little boy he's singing about, he says, and when his uncle came at night, he'd look outside and sing. And again, you think, hang on a minute. Did I hear that Whoa. right? Is that does that yeah. mean something a bit sinister? You know, because you, you kind of get the feeling that there's a bit more depth to this character. And if there had yeah. been more time for them to develop the character um, in the way that they've done with Garth, I, I wonder if there'd be more to him than this, because. One of the things I thought was really good about Glynn is that he could have easily been been written as a kind of a freak show comic thing because he is mm. odd looking and there are silly things about him and stuff like this. But he doesn't really come across as much in that way. And there's actually something a bit sad about a bit tragic about him, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it does. That's how it sort of struck me. I still found it, you know, it's it's comedy. But again, it's this sort of pathos there, and there's like a under the surface. I wonder if there's more to this character that we're that's hinted at that we're not really getting, but we may have done if he'd have been developed further. That's brought it down a bit, hasn't it? Sorry about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> Talk about no, buns I... and willies and things to try and lighten it. <laughs> Sticky buns and all that. Um, I. I... I think the the crusty <laughs> bats. The 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 thing I like the, the interesting thing with Glenn is that yeah <laughs> oh boy um is that Sorry. Glenn um oh no is that uh Glenn's has this um so it's like Glenn is alternately he's he's very cheery apart on up until the thing happens halfway through the episode. But he's very kind of cheery, and he's always laughing yeah. with Dean and talking to Dean. And um, but but then every once in a while he'll he'll slip in these. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. But he'll 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 in, insert. I didn't mean it like that yeah. either. He'll 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 put in these little, <laughs> little hit, moments. Yes. Yeah, where he's talking about like when he's talking about Dermontford, and clearly like yeah he was being yeah that that wasn't a, a great really great thing. But he. And there's even a moment where he says something like, um, I think he says uh, uh, that Dermontford made him get the breast augmentation at one point. That's um, right. Yes. Yes. And and it's not sort of said why, because um, you know acting he'd be able to put in some fake things. So it's it's sort of like these these weird moments where it's like is Dermontford sort of like creating yeah his his ultimate bot as it were out of this poor guy who wasn't really much of an actor yeah yeah because because when he's talking about that he, he's asked directly about that was he put on an estrogen diet to develop breasts and stuff and he says he was he you know the demont for put him on this diet to do this he says but on the other hand whenever i was anxious he says um demont would just pop a reassuring thumb at my ass and the whole worry of the world would melt away from my shoulders which is kind of really funny but it's also kind of really oh that's sort of sad and a bit disturbing it's kind of there's yeah. a thin line between the, between the two things there but yeah yeah as I said, it's not as straightforward, just funny. It's there's more to it. Yeah, there's 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 something in that relationship that um, where yeah he he's he he's really being taken advantage of by Dermontford. But but there's yeah. also yeah. but he also really seems he loves the what the um the uh, the fame as it were that Bot has brought him. And he, he, I don't think he's too, yeah. you know, well, let, let's go to the, the thing that happens in the middle of the episode. So he, he, yeah, from all the plastic surgery and stuff, right. he's, he, he's, 
he, I forget what it is exactly, but he's taking something that makes him highly flammable. I forget what he says. Is he putting something on like a some kind of chemical? It's not been released properly, but it's some sort of because yes, what it is is because he because of all the plastic surgery he's had when he first comes into the set. There's like a, a roaring fireplace and he asks if they could turn the fire down a bit because he says he can't endure a heat source stronger than 25 cells centigrade. <laughs> and um, this chemical he's got, which is apparently a bit whiffy, um, it keeps the skin cool, but it's highly flammable. <laughs> <laughs> So a bit of foreshadowing there, but he also there's a bit of foreshadowing as well, because he says they, they go on and they talk about his upbringing and stuff. And they said, oh, you're half Hawaiian and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, he says, my father was Hawaiian fire breather and my mother was a nurse in a hospital burns unit. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, ironically enough, on their first date, my father belched at the wrong moment and set her alight. He says she was a beautiful woman, my mother, on the left hand side. <laughs> so there's this a lot of... Um, a lot of foreshadowing going on here. Yes. And then you're going to explain what happens. <laughs> I will say what happens. So Dean um, is excited to have uh, him there because um, he want, he has a script that he's written and he wants um, him to play uh, the part of his mother, Dean's mother. And so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Dean, uh, not thinking as he's getting his script out, uh, lights a cigar, hands the cigar to Glenn to hold on to as he's rifling through script pages and Glenn's head catches on fire and we cut to the commercial <laughs> and when we come back um, Dean is look, looks a little shaken um, mainly because Glenn won't read his script now because he's so horribly burned and we cut to Glenn in the back room where Satu yeah. is, is giving him cakes and things and trying to keep him cool and Glenn is horribly burned um, it's, it's really horrible. <laughs> it's, and it's 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 one of those it's one of those moments where it's like Dean is is in the in the uh, main studio. Like, well, let's try to read the script. She'll hold it up for you. Glenn, can you hear me? Oh boy. Okay, Glenn. Okay. Oh well. Yeah. Are you all right? I'm fine, Dean. I'm just sorry we couldn't complete our script. Well, well, I've still got the script, and um, it'd be great if we could still go through it. Sure. Actually, I don't think that's a good idea, Dean. I'm burned pretty bad. <laughs> it, it, it's all right. Satu can hold up the script for you. Oh. I will, I, I'll set the scene for you. Um, I'm in the middle of... Oh! Hey, come on. Bub, 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 bub. <laughs> OK. okay. Um, I'm in the middle of opening up my first lap dancing club, and I receive a phone call saying my mother is critically ill. Um, it's your line first. Oh, Jesus, I'm so goddamn hot. No, no. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually, I'm so proud of you, Dean. I'm sorry to do this to you on your big night. And then it's my line. Don't worry, Mother, I forgive you. Can you not die for another hour? <laughs> Gaz Top is here, and the press are clamouring for a photo of us together. Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> no that, that's not it either, Glenn. We'll pick this up later. We'll play in the VT and we'll come back, Glenn. I don't think so, Dean. I'm burned pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, no. You've said. <laughs> and it's funny, but when you're looking at Glenn, it's so horrible. And it just gets worse 
as it's really good makeup yeah yes it's it's really good because you see him first of all as this kind of weird looking because of all the plastic surgery and expressions Mm -hmm. missing and all this and you see that and then the next thing with it a good effect when he spontaneously combusts it looks good when they do it and it's so out of the blue it does make you laugh because it's just completely you know (laughs) it just happens and um yeah as he explodes i love that dean's first reaction is uh cut to the pillow fight cut to the pillow fight (laughs) (laughs) and we see some some women hit each other with pillows while then it goes to the advert break and stuff but um, he he says after the commercial break that uh he, you know he's it's very good news that uh, glenn is both willing and contractually obliged to continue <laughs> talking to us <laughs> despite the poor guy is completely hideously burned <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty dark. That's about as dark as, as we could get right here, especially how unterrified Dean is. Yes. Um, oh, but yeah. they, they do. They, they we do, said, you, re- you realize how horrible we sound by laughing at these things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the thing yes. I, 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 I do like the way they set the episode up, which I really like is. So the first half is mainly Glenn talking about himself and you're trying to sort of piece together this character who talks like he talks he sounds a bit like um George Takai a bit uh, sort of Sulu he has that ah, voice yes. that de- yes. and, and but I've I'm, got a, I'm not a sure. theory about this oh, oh okay um would you like to give us a the, theory now or yeah is it, All right. yes the theory is is that um the, the 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 show that he's in which is famous for being in is is clearly some sort of a spoof of something like Star Trek, one of those kind of shows. And his name is Glyn Nimron, which isn't a million miles away from Nimoy, as in Leonard Nimoy. And if you you listen to him, it's actually his voice isn't that far away from somebody doing an impression of Leonard Nimoy, (laughs) character Spock. So that's my theory, is that it's kind of a deliberate deliberate sort of reference to him. Okay, I'll go for that one. Yeah. Although and, I'm not saying he's had loads of plastic surgery and stuff sure. like this. <laughs> and yeah, because I spent a lot of the time uh, just listening to Glenn's voice, trying to figure out, I that's an American thing, right? He's doing. I that just seems. I, I, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's so. It's so. I, it's such a weird sort of forget for, like a package. The Glenn character that it's just every bit of it is weird, and you're trying to figure yeah. out like. What what is what is this meant to be? Why is this happening? Why is this there? And and the fact that sort of like when he comes out and he's got this, the face is sort of halfway between uh, like the Eric Roberts makeup in the movie Mask, and um, uh, the actor oh, yes, Robert yes. Ro- the actor uh, Robert Zadar who was in a lot of eighties early nineties films. He was in Samurai Cop. Yes, and, I know. Mani- I, I think he was chin. a maniac. Is that right? Yeah. With the, the guy with the big chin, is that right? Yes, yep, yep, that's him. He's kind of halfway in between yes. those. And uh, if you want to see the fa- and he's got kind of a beautiful, like, high black, long hair. I, I don't quite know how to describe the hair, but it's black, jet black, and it's it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's kind of bouffanted up just a little and, and goes back. And um, <laughs> uh, But they, they do a fun thing with the, the structure of this one, is that because... Uh, because uh, his head catches on fire and he's horribly, horribly burned, they decide to show some clips from other things. And they show two clips. One is Dino After Dark, where Glynn does a song, which which you mentioned earlier. Uh, And then the other is this hysterical sequence. And I forget where exactly it's set, um, but Uh it's... It's at the... 
It's the 14th annual Uxbridge Science Fiction and Fantasy Convention. I wrote that down. So it's in Uxbridge, (laughs) Middlesex. So is is, is Uxbridge, would that be somewhere like the glittering East End of London? No, <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> suburb kind of uh, town. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. It's. I mean, it's, uh, not surprisingly, when you see it, um, he's standing there with an umbrella because it's raining and it's grey and it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I I like it because being uh, a Doctor Who fan, uh, you see a lot of on the on the DVDs and having been to conventions. Yeah, I've been to some Doctor Who conventions. So what? Uh, uh, you you see a lot of the. Because if you if you were on Doctor Who, even if only for two or three episodes, you still get invited to conventions. And some people who get con- invited to the conventions are, have had great careers, are, are doing fantastic, and it's like, oh, this was something I did for fun, you know, that kind of thing, or this started my career. Whereas other people uh, will show up, and after they did Doctor Who, you sort of never really saw them again, and they're in like Cock Gooses Four or something like that, that kind of thing. And but but <laughs> the sort of the sort of celebrity they get from the convention is, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, I you know I'd be thrilled to you know just you know I did this thing on a show, and and you know a dozen people, a hundred people, whatever, want to hear me talk about it. And so you see Glenn there <laughs> and he's super excited. And it's basically, it's sort of like a, almost like if they were to release like a new Galactic Cops box set, they'd include this little, um, you know, shot on video vignette of him. Just like I'm at the convention and behind me is the, the convention center. And now I'm going to my hotel and he goes to the hotel and it's great because oh, it's that really sounded like him then that was good for, for i don't know if i'll be able to do that again that was in the moment right there but he, wow. he goes to the hotel i was just gonna say would you like another connection to dr who in this little sequence oh sure yes yes please yes please okay right sorry going off at a tangent here but there is a doctor who connection um loosely but uh, when he checks into his hotel kind of restaurant hotel the the receptionist not the last time we'll see her in this series is Lydia Fox. Now she's um, one of the people in the the Fox acting family: James Fox, Lawrence Fox, Edward Fox. There's a big family of actors, and she's also the wife of Richard Ayoade, who's um, oh. yeah, he's sort of you know in this as the main character. You know, he's um, but she, as well as being related to the Fox family, she is also the sister-in-law to Billy Piper, who. Oh, wow. um, was Rose in the the early the reboot episodes of Doctor mm-hmm. Who? No better here as a singer as well, but uh, yeah. yes, yeah, so it's Billy Piper's sister-in-law. So there's a slightly tenuous link to Doctor Who, but That's I'll cool. give you that for nothing. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this beautiful, um, uh, just just three-minute bit, and it's there's on the DVD there's an extended. It's extended, so you get an extra like two or three minutes, but it's just him. Uh, trying to get a hotel room, discovering that the people at the convention didn't pay for his room ahead of time, and it's interesting because on the in in the I actually have it playing on my TV right here. There he is, standing with his pink umbrella, yeah. with his be- beautiful helmet of hair, <laughs> and uh, and he goes he goes so he's talking to, he's talking to the woman at the hotel, and in the um, in the episode as aired, uh, I forget how many pounds she says it is but he, what he's how much is a room uh like 45 40 pounds. pounds room yeah something yeah. like that and he's like jesus and then you see him storming out in the uh in the extended version he says you're like jesus what is that like 75 80 dollars and then he storms out 
Uh, and oh no, he says something. Oh, she says right. yes. He, he says yes, and he says he says something like, um, "Well, um, can I uh, have breakfast? You have to be registered with the hotel. Well, can I leave my bags here for a moment? You have to be registered with the hotel. Okay, I'll be right back." And he storms <laughs> out. And uh, so then you see him at the yeah. convention, and it's it's really kind of a sweet scene with him like standing in front of a couple dozen um, people who he it's intimated that they were pretty much all there last year too. And then he has a great yes. scene where he's signing photos. And have you ever been to any of these conventions, Gore? Are there, is it, do you hear? I, of I have once I went to one. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I what, went, I went to one of them, but it was more of a general sci-fi thing. And I'm not really big into sci-fi, um, but I did recognize one or two of the people there. Um, in fact, I think I, I almost walked straight into David Hasselhoff, um, when oh, I was no. there, because he wasn't looking where he was walking, and I wasn't either. But uh, so there's a, <laughs> a, a, a yeah, <laughs> a wow, clash of fame I... there or something. But, yeah, but I, I, I sort of got when you're looking at this, um, I thought that it was a really nice little nod to like sci fi fans and this whole um, convention thing. And that I thought it summed it up really nicely. Um, you know, and there's him going on the stage and the people are there and he's talking to them and cracking these terrible jokes and uh, and all this. And then doing the, the, the signings, which and he says something like that the, the, the autographs are, are five pounds if they're pre signed or ten pounds if you want me to sign them in front of you <laughs> but he does this but because he's because he's got nowhere to stay he does this cringy flirty thing with this young guy william there which was quite yes. funny and um he says oh, what's your name william oh william oh and then he starts talking about oh william means this it's this this part means this and this part means something about helmet he said so i could say to you william i desire your helmet <laughs> and then by and the end of the clip we see it, he's yeah. actually ended up in bed yeah, he's ended up in the, in bed with this poor lad that doesn't look that pleased to be there. <laughs> he's sort of there with a free room for the night. <laughs> and um, I was going to – I have it written here, but I'm not sure if this is right. But when he walks up on the stage, he, he says, Splamantma Vernoff Vo. I think that's what he says. And then everyone in the crowd yells something back to him. something, yeah. Yeah, which yes. is some kind of Galacticops nonsense, which is, I mean, yeah, if if you want to, I mean, he's having so much fun when he's there, though. He, I mean, apart from not getting the room, he looks like he's having so much fun. So to go up on stage and have him say this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah, it's, it's, it's all part of the joy. And I love the scene where he's signing the photos yeah. and and that's extended to in the uh in the on the extras there's like an extra minute or so of him having trouble with some guy who's trying to give him checks and credit cards because he accepts a check from a young lady but then an older guy shows up and he won't take anything but cash from him and the guy keeps offering him other stuff yeah it's it's um huh? it's it's really and it's it's nice because while we're intercutting between Dean and the horribly burned uh Glenn eventually being taken into an ambulance where they think he's probably not going to come back, maybe, maybe. We intercut that with this great scene yes. of Glenn just having so much fun. And he's like, he's cracking jokes like he's like one of my uncles or something. It's like, uh, yeah, you can write a check. Yeah, just um, how about leave that blank and I'll fill it in. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. That's 10 pounds. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's, he's doing that thing where he's laughing hysterically at the jokes and that no one else laughs at, but they smile at him. You know, they're just excited to meet Bot. And yeah. It's, 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 it's nice to see because that intercut with the song and the song, as sad as it is, 
uh, um, Dean says it's meant to, it was kind of like him trying to, uh, Glenn trying to re, re, um, reignite his failed singing career. So it's technically not meant to be as horribly yeah. sad yeah. as it ends up being, but it's nice that we get these other glimpses of Glenn happy doing what he loves and not horribly burned in between the scenes of him horribly Yes, burned. it is. Again, it's this sort of pathos thing, isn't it? Because when we see him and he's really happy is when he's coming into the studio at the beginning and sitting there and talking. So he's, you know, enjoying the fame. And then also, like you said, when he's at the convention, when he's actually on the stage or when he's actually signing, you know, he's he looks a lot happier there. But then the other thing, the other times we see him, it's horrible. I mean, with the burning and that. And um, yeah, and uh, Dean sends his personal physician um, along to, to help him. He's apparently a breast specialist. And uh, <laughs> it says it announces that Glenn's got to got to rush off because he needs to have a, an immediate quadruple breast bypass to stop the seepage or he'll drown in saline so you know terrible terrible yeah so yeah so again back to dark place humor and all this kind of stuff yeah Yeah, and then we've got the the final the the scene you talked about with the the song in it and everything that was brilliantly done um it starts off as a kind of like a party you know it's like that it's it's obviously set sometime 80 late 70s 80s it's not just the, the the clothes the makeup and the way they're dancing and all that, which is all spot on. But it's also the way it's filmed. You know, the kind of the, the film quality and the lighting and that is so dated. I could totally believe that is a piece of film yes. from that that time. And then it leads up to this sequence where um, they, well, he calls it a duet, really, but um, Dean only just <laughs> sings the last line. But this kind of a, a duet, which is kind of a schmaltzy sort of a sitting there singing about this little boy and, and so on and so on. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of quite sad as well. It's funny. I mean, there are lines in it that are funny, but it's quite sad as well. And, 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 you, and one final little thing on this is that uh, yeah. as as um, Glyn is being loaded into an ambulance uh, at the very end, we see Dean talking to someone. And it's one of those two Dark Place guys again, yes. <laughs> the Jim and someone else, the two Dark Place guys. You see the um, you see the you see the brief clip of Glenn uh, doing his um, uh, the reading from his books, and then when it cuts back to Dean, Dean says something like, "And it stays that hilarious for the next thirty hours." <laughs> Let's see. His po- I had That's another funny, point. But thank God it wasn't Steve doing it from the one Steve pissing doing it. Oh, oh God, yeah, if that was thirty Steve, hours that long, been rough. Oh my oh. gosh. The uh, the Dino after dark looks very much like a playboy after dark kind of thing and um, ah and, and the, right. the, mentioned that before and, yes and and um it's uh and the great thing is that it the show is at least on the dvd i have the show is a 178 aspect ratio but when it cuts to dino after dark it goes to 133 which is the old picture tube oh. aspect oh. ratio nice. um, so oh, i, I will um, that's very soft yeah, I, I was watching. I thought, hey, did the aspect? Oh, yeah, it did. Hey, cool. Um, and I, there was one more point. Oh, I love. And then I, I think I'm done uh, with Glenn. Although as much as I love to talk about Glenn some more, I think I think I'm I'm at the end of it right now. The, I, I love that when they cut to the the clip of Dino after dark. It, it's basically it's set up as this is Glenn and myself doing a duet. And there is a moment where uh, Dean is standing there and goes, where's Glenn? Oh, he's in his bedroom or something like that. Oh, I'll go get him in here. And he goes over there. Um, But it (laughs) begins with a sequence 
where um, you see there's a band and the drummer is drumming and drumming. It's a drum solo. And you see all these people kind of looking around watching. <laughs> and you think that what they're watching is this drummer just kicking ass on the drums. But what they're watching is Dean jumping around the room doing an air drum solo. <laughs> that he completely gets wrong. That because was impressive. Yes, it was. And the great thing about it is he's going, he's going, he's hitting, he's hitting, he's hitting. And then right when he gets to the end, the drummer like hits his last beat and then Dean goes like an extra two beats. But it doesn't matter because everyone applauds for him anyway. Yeah. And so I was, that's I was just really of, impressed with how much energy he had. <laughs> how yes. does he do that? <laughs> yeah. And that that's sort of, to me, the, the ethos behind Playboy After Dark, which is that it's guys who have a lot of money but are kind of sleazy and maybe aren't well, aren't nearly as interesting as they think they are, being indulged yeah. to just like, you know, we yeah. hired a professional drummer, he's going to drum his ass off, and the guy who hosts the show is just going to go, just pretending like he's air drumming, and he's going to get huge applause from all these beautiful women. So that's kind of, if you want to think of what Playboy yeah. After Dark is, it looks like this, and it was like that. So, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so what, I guess, what, what did you think of the overall uh, episode? Um, different to the other two, I liked it for different reasons. I think this had a bit more uh, to it with the characters. I was saying before, I think there was a lot more. I, this is of of the, you know, well, of the three characters, this is one I would probably like to see more. You know, if they explored it a bit more and did more about it, I'd be interested to see what they did. Um, although a bit difficult if they've hideously burnt him halfway through, it's not going to be so good. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he was quite an interesting character. And I was like, I was wondering about all sorts of things watching him. Uh, about the, the the way he is and how he ended up there and stuff so it was interesting in that in that respect and um, i loved all the the sci-fi convention stuff in it as well i thought that was nice and it's also that it shows you um being a a guest at one of these things you know as in a someone from a popular tv show or film that isn't really as glamorous as you'd expect yes, yeah. <laughs> the lack of glamour and everything like that. um but yeah there's you know pathos in this and um you know and all this and, and and, uh, it, but it was still funny. But this really pushed the uh, the, the sort of the, the dark humour quite a bit. You know, as I said, there's a thin line. I mean, I, I still thought it was funny, but uh, there's a thin line. <laughs> yeah, but it was good. What did you think? I I uh, I really like the the character, and I really like this episode. I mean, not to not to put down Steve pissing. That that's a different sort of animal. Um, as it were, uh, but I think that um, I, I think it's a great, it's such a fascinating character, and there's so many questions when he first appears, and there's such a great backstory, and I love that they actually, you know, have something happen in the middle that adds drama to it. Uh, that it was a nice change of pace, yeah. and um, and when it got to the end, one, my first thought was I'm hoping Glenn is still alive, and two. I want to see more footage of him at conventions because it was such fun to watch. But I, I, yes, really, yeah, as, I love that. Yes. yes. And, and this is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really dark, especially like the, 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 like we said, the mix of horribly burned Glenn with pissed off Dean because he can't get the bit of his script read. And there's, there's such a dark yes. to it. <laughs> there's such a dark to it, but it works and it's funny. And if you can, get past some of the kind of deep sadness that the character doesn't seem to want to yes. get near. Um, if you can get past that, um, it's a laugh riot, even when the guy's head catches on fire. It's hysterical. No, I don't know if it's hysterical, <laughs> but it's really quite funny. Um, and sad, it's nice, and I, li I like yeah. it. I'd love to see I'd love to see if the show will continue to build pathos like this, or will it go in other... I'd, 
other directions. I don't know where I at this yeah. point. I actually I have not watched the other three episodes, so I don't know where it goes from here. Oh, okay, right, okay, but yeah, I, it does seem to be like it's matured slightly even in just two episodes. The first one is more playing with familiar stuff that they, you know, they've already established. The second one is doing something very different, and the third one seems to have gone a little bit deeper, um, yes. you know, with, with that. So uh, it's interesting if they if they keep that keep that momentum going. We will see in the next episode. See, yes. Yes, and so Gore, mm-hmm. wrapping this up, where can we find you online? Will you be at any conventions in Uxbridge this year? <laughs> no, Uxbridge is a little way for me to go, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but no, no, no. Uh, you know, sadly, no. Although I would probably go if if Glyn was on stage, I'd probably make a special trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I can be find I can be found online. Um, the trilogy of is where you'll find links to my podcast, trilogy of terror podcast, um, and the different places where that is. I'm on Twitter myself at I am Gore or one word. And you can also find um, the Facebook and Instagram Trilogy of Terror podcast is on there, or one word. Thank you again for joining me. And let me just sign off with this. Oh, thank you for asking Spl- me. Oh, of course. Splamatma Vernoff Vo. Bringing justice to the galaxy. That was episode 67, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's see. Where can you find us online? How can you get in touch with us? Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com is the website. At eSupertrain1 on Twitter. Eventually, Supertrain is is the page on Facebook. eSupertrain at yahoo.com or Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y-S-L-A-C-K-S at yahoo.com. That's my email address if you want to shoot me an email there. That would be awesome. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will be back next time with more of everything, everything you love. Now listen to this. Hi, I'm Glenn Nimrod, and I'm here in Uxbridge, England, for the 14th annual Uxbridge Science Fiction and Fantasy Convention, held this year in the Uxbridge Conference Center, uh, right here in Uxbridge. It's a little rainy, it's a little early, so I'm going to go grab a continental breakfast in my hotel, which, lucky for me, is situated just across the way there. Come on, I'll buy you coffee. That's the one. That's it. It should actually be 10,000. I got promoted in the last film, but that's fine. I got the series wrong. That's their problem, not yours. Okay, so how would you like to pay? Oh, I thought it was paid for. Not yet, no. Oh, okay. Uh, how much is it? It's 45 for a double. Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you. Welcome onto the stage, Mr. Glenn Nimrod.
Hello, Uxbridge, how are you? Great, or as I should say, as Bob would say, Splen Matma Wurnoff Vo. You got it, great. 